0: Happy Monday, my little Liberty kitty cats. And if you are listening right now, which you are no matter when you're listening, I suppose. But if you're listening when this show drops on Monday morning, it means you have just a few hours remaining to register for free to watch me. Myself, your shining beacon of liberty, speak at Offshore Escape 2020 being put on by our good friend Mikkel Thorup over at Escape Artist. This is an amazing event where you can learn a lot more about uh, how to have some financial diversity, uh, the idea of becoming an expat from all sorts of different experts that Mikkel has uh, met and connected with over the years, including myself. I don't know how I'm an expert on anything, but I do give a talk about what I have learned over the years from interviewing hundreds and hundreds of freedom-loving individuals right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. So to hear my talk, to watch me speak live, my talk is actually on a Thursday, June 4th at 11 a.m. I believe that's Eastern time. It's UTC minus four for those uh, time zone nerds out there. But I do encourage you to head over to lionsofliberty.com escape and get your free ticket right now. That's lionsofliberty.com /escape
1: Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire.
0: All right, Liberty Kitty Cats, with me today, I've got a couple gentlemen from an awesome organization called Student Loan Tutor. I've got the co founder and CEO, Zach Geist, as well as, as the director of the tutoring department, Michael Kundick. Gentlemen, are you ready to roar? Always. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, awesome, guys. Uh, Zach, I'm going to start with you, uh, A, because I know a lot more about you, because I heard an amazing two-hour interview that you did uh, with uh, with our friend Mike Brancatelli from Mike Adelic. I r- highly recommend checking that interview out. That was really, really in-depth, a really fun interview. But uh, this isn't about his show. This is about ours. So first, I want to get to know you a little bit better. Why don't you just tell everybody out there kind of, uh, I guess, the, the non-two-hour version of uh, kind of how you got started in this whole thing,
2: kind of a little bit of your background, where you came from, and, and how you ended up founding uh, as a student loan tutor great. That's a long journey. It's always interesting to try to abstract, uh, the right material for the audience that you imagine is listening. Um, I grew up, my family came here from Russia. My mom was born in China, grew up in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, moved to the Bay area of California. Uh, I grew up, ended up growing up kind of in the projects really. Uh, there were, uh, I, I found out real early that, uh, I had somewhat of an edge due to some of my very early upbringing and I became very familiar with, you know, how difficult it is to be a crab getting out of a bucket uh, without a roadmap. And uh, I think that eventually led me through uh, making lots of money and losing lots of money uh, all the way until my early 30s in which I decided that I wanted to do something that really helped a lot of people and I tried to find, you know... I guess it was ambitious goal, to try to find the biggest problem or one of the biggest problems <clears throat> and try to figure out a way to solve it. I think Elon Musk says, if you want to make a lot of money or be, be a success in life, uh, find the biggest problem and that you could possibly solve and solve it. So I think I I took that to heart and I stumbled across student debt. And that uh, was the beginning of a journey uh, that that started with that. It actually started from as bizarre as this sounds, from taking a root bark from Africa called Iboga while in uh, Mexico, which is, I think you're in Mexico right now. So, it actually began in Mexico. I am in Mexico. You're giving me Uh, ideas. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's a pretty pretty wild beginning. And uh, yeah, that's... That's a very brief.
0: I, I can't. I can't let you get away with not going into a little bit more detail. Just on the aboga ceremony first. What can you just describe? I mean, you could probably spend hours describing it, but could you describe? I guess uh, on the base level, like what exactly happened in in the context of that ceremony that that kind of pushed you down this path.
2: Great. Yeah. Great question, uh, Mark. Uh, I actually just went live with a podcast with uh, someone that a medicine woman that works with aboga has worked with a lot of famous people actually with the medicine. And I go deeply into detail of my aboga experience in that and uh, what led me to it. Uh, I guess maybe it's better to start with what led me to it. Uh, what led me to it was addiction. Uh, what led me to addiction was trauma, which I didn't really understand. I thought trauma was just people that went to war and then came back. Uh, but growing up in the projects is, is war. And uh, so uh, the journey of aboga uh, took me into a basically like a lucid dream state Uh, where I was able to really expand what it meant to be a being. Uh, I guess it's a really broad view of of what the aboga experience was. It shattered my paradigm of what I thought was possible, uh, what I thought the mind was, and what I thought my mission was as a human being, uh, I guess, uh, uh, enwrapped in a soul you know, I, I didn't really know what that was. And Iboga gave me a glimpse of that and, ma- and helped me feel really connected to the rest of humanity and a living planet and living, you know, uh, I mean, living ancestors, whatever that means. And, uh, and I mean, even the entire experience, I was seeing mathematical calculus, like type of equations as I was thinking. So I mean, it was I, I said, I, I noticed that a lot of creativity and genius had come from whatever realm was temporarily opened by this aboga. And I wish I could say that student loan tutor was like revealed to me in some really beautiful <laughs> way during the aboga journey itself. You but, must solve uh, the truth, student debt crisis. Yeah. Truth. Truth be told, I was. Uh, I had just lost my company that I had. I had you know made millions and lost it three times, and uh, I had just lost my company. Uh, Had tried to rebuild it from the ashes, and in order to do it, was taking small amounts of oxycodone to keep myself motivated to do it. And even with the help of that, I uh, was—I called it my limitless pill. Uh, I still wasn't able to because fate wouldn't have it. No matter how hard I tried with a Herculean effort, I I could not muscle my way back into it. And uh, it eventually led me to live in a tent in the wilderness on as little as I possibly could in Mount Shasta, which is a, a, a large drop from a seven-figure income to living in a tent in the wilderness, let me tell you. Uh, but uh, I, I was white-knuckling addiction for a year where I just wasn't doing it, but it was taking every bit of my like strength. You know, uh, You could picture maybe some people in AA that I just remember thinking... You know, I associated AA with, and I never went to AA, not that it probably isn't helpful, but I, I see a lot of people, what appears to me to be white knuckling it, smoking a lot of cigarettes, drinking a lot of coffee and finding other ways to meet that. And I think I might've done it with workaholism, but uh, student loan tutor actually came right afterwards. I couldn't figure out what the hell to do for that full year. I tried a couple things and nothing felt quite right. And it was right after the journey, I came upstairs and I was um, eating some breakfast and there was a guy there uh, that was brought by the person who brought me, actually gave him a boga, because I'd bought it, but I was too terrified to take it myself. And uh, he himself is, I think he's a libertarian, actually. Uh, he uh, owns a company that does a billion dollars a year in revenue here in the United States. And he had flown a, a bunch of us out to Mexico. And one of the people he flew out was struggling with addiction. And he says, you know... And I said, Oh, what do you do? And he said, Oh, I'm looking into this stuff with student loans. There's all these new programs that Obama, uh, you know, unraveled and there's all these crazy things could happen, but he couldn't explain any of it. And what that put me on a a year long path of a lot of people that couldn't quite understand how any of this shit worked. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's how, that's how it began. And that was a little bit of that Aboga experience. I'm not sure if I answered or, or gave insight into that too well.
0: Well, yeah, I think it would be – I think you'd have to maybe uh, go into three or four hours of detail to probably really, really describe it. But uh, what
2: I'll do is I'll link in the show notes for the show. I shit myself. I'll tell you that. I shit myself on it. I threw up. And when I threw up, I was throwing up what I believed into – uh, an open human skull, and I was throwing up bugs and all of that. In uh, the person,
1: <laughs> there was a, a purple
2: gorilla holding. He's going to link the
1: episode. All right, yeah. he's going to link the episode. No, I like, I like this stuff. <laughs> now I've now I've got a good soundbite to. Hopefully, get out there. you weren't
2: eating while I while I said that. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's a good stuff. I will link to that podcast if you shoot it to me in today's show notes. Uh, Michael, what about you? Could you tell us a little bit about your path uh, to sort of where you are now, how you ended up meeting up with Zach and getting involved in, in the student loan issue yourself?
1: Absolutely. Um, I never expected to be seen as uh, an authority on federal student loan repayment. I actually have had a huge passion for permaculture and community building and organizing for the last uh, almost decade. And I had just come back from six months of apprenticeship at an off-grid permaculture farm here in Southern Utah after getting certified. Permaculture is this uh, uh, holistic uh, design science about uh, growing food and, and working in harmony with ecosystems and and the, and the living planet and um, I came back to the city after having this beautiful off-grid clean air, clean water perfect experience with my new wife and then we were stuck in concrete and you know i I have an organization called the utah permaculture collective which i'm chairperson of and we would be uh, meeting and cultivating community around this uh, study of permaculture and i met zach through that because he's uh despite being a finance guy he's actually uh, very uh, grounded in what we often call the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible kind of coined by charles eisenstein so zach was coming to those groups and i've had kind of a background in sales like I've done financial work before in different industries and I'd kind of put that behind me just focused on uh, growing food and organizing around that and he thought you know here's a guy that clearly is well spoken and passionate and just like what Zach had found he found something that was not just morally neutral but actually on the side of the good guys like this is we're helping lower and middle class people um, get rid of the um, the handicap that is inherently built into the system we're removing those And showing them, even though it is overly complex, just like taxes, where someone could go in and do their tax return. Um, You know, if you have a good write off strategy and a corporate strategy, and you know what the wealthy people know, you end up paying very little, or you could pay a whole boatload if you don't know what you're doing. Student loans is the same thing. So I saw an ethical way to really help people, and it's really evolved uh, over the last three and a half, four years. I now um, run a lot of the day-to-day for Student Loan Tutor, and our built up our consultation process. And I've actually been asked to run as uh, the Green Party candidate for Salt Lake County Mayor right now. So thanks to the the, the freedom of being connected uh, with such a great business and such a great um, company uh, viewpoint in the world, it's it's freed me up to do lots of uh, lots of different things. So that's that's kind of how I landed with Zach, and, and we're both both uh, have a lot of fun together, uh, trying to make the world a more beautiful place. So you said you
0: were asked to run. Who exactly was it that, that asked you to run? Was this like a series of connections you had made in, in the area? And people just kind of said, hey, we need someone to run under our platform. So you seem like the guy. Well, how did that come about?
1: Yeah, I, I've been a uh, community organizing uh, for the last nine years. My first nonprofit was all about local agriculture and getting artists to support that and very quickly found regenerative agriculture and permaculture. And I got involved. In air quality activism here in Salt Lake and in Utah in general, we have horrid uh, air quality. We get these really bad inversions in the winter time, which is like looking out over Mordor, and just people are dying prematurely. It's awful. Um, and so I've just been a big activist and organizer, and, and I'm also a musician, and so I've kind of built a little bit of a, a following, if you will. And uh, the Green Party of Utah just said gosh like you you embody our principles we will you, will you run and then i and i said okay let's let's dive into this so yeah that's where i'm that's where i'm at today with it you never know
0: uh you know where your interests can can lead you even into politics you really don't know uh my my podcasting journey has led me to some interesting places as well but um, I, I want to dive into like a lot of people listening right now. I, I really want to address something kind of off the top because some there might be people listening that uh, you know they might be thinking, all right, maybe I don't need to listen to this uh, that deeply because I don't I don't have student loans. Hopefully, they're really intrigued by both of your stories already, and you know the uh, the, the puking uh, the puking bugs and all that stuff. But uh, you know, I, I want to talk about this overall concept of debt and how we can apply the lessons that some of the lessons that we'll talk about to sort of. Other areas in life, including like debt, people might not even think about that they have uh, in some ways. So uh, I'm sure either of you can sort of take this little, on this, a little bit of a philosophical journey when it comes to this stuff. But I really want to just talk about a little bit of why this this what we'll talk about today applies to more than just people who specifically have student loan debt. And either of you can take it away.
1: Zach's the key for the philosophy.
2: Yeah, I I, I think uh, it's important that people understand what debt is and uh, maybe how. Mm. how resources were shared and exchanged in the past. Uh, We're so far removed from that, uh, that we forget that there wasn't, you know, there wasn't always currency. Uh, What came first, debt or currency? What came first, credit or, you know, credit or debt? Uh, You know, and what debts, I mean, maybe the more simple question is, because that's, you know, multiple podcasts, you know, just on... What came first, and where that came from, and why, and you know, and then you got slavery in there somewhere, and you know, it wasn't just African slaves; they're they're all over. Then you, and then the more you look at slavery, you start to like go, "Well, wait a second, maybe there's still forms of slavery, like you know." And you start to go, "You know, well, what are forms of slavery?" Like, and then you start to ask yourself a question, like, "Well, what do human <laughs> beings need in order to exist as full human beings? Could like, can, can a fish live in a tree? You know, like." You know, can a human being live without, you know, ground to plant things in? Uh, Can a human being live without uh, leisure time? Uh, Can a human being live without socialization? Uh, Can a human being really live a full life uh, without uh, healing from past trauma and like having the time to be able to integrate that? Can a human being live without an adequate amount of sleep or nutrition or daylight or clean air? Like... What what do you know? And then and then you start to go well. Okay, maybe they do. Like and then you start to question: What is a human being anyway? Like are we you know an accident happening on a rock somewhere uh, that are trying to maximize our self interest uh, and hopefully live as much of the quote unquote good life, however we see it, in an entirely subjective way, and then die and uh, maybe throw a kid onto there somewhere if that was kind of what we what we thought was a good idea. Um, or did we come into this world uh, with a purpose of some kind that if we look back on our lives, we could see that purpose seated in us and in times where our gifts have shown and then throughout time, uh, maybe those gifts have fallen or and maybe those gifts, maybe they, you haven't expressed them outwardly so much as they've been interests that you've had. And we've been put up into a world where uh, our interests don't don't seem to align with our ability to survive and pay for those things that are are required to be paid for in order to survive things like land, shelter, healthcare, uh, uh, leisure time. So, you know, social life, uh, these things that are, you know, come with a price. And, uh, and I guess, uh, I, I want to point to maybe animals cause that's a good example. Like, you know, Uh, You think of a squirrel or a bird, you know, it comes into this world that if it survives the hatching process, uh, it now exists in a world that has air and trees and worms and stuff. And it, and it goes through its world through its life being a bird. Uh, Whereas we come into this world and uh, we need land because we can't fly except for in our dreams. Uh, At least most of us or not me anyway. Uh, And the, Idea that we need to do something. You know, we need to be able to somehow come up with this thing called money um, in order to buy the land that is already owned. We come into a world where all the land is already owned, uh, and uh, most of the time into families that are already working jobs that are very technocratic. You know, very specific. Uh, and we don't even know quite what they do. you know It used to be we'd know what our father or our mother did or our mother you know would help with the household or you know maybe had interests or our father you know was in a trade that his father was in, and we began to learn that trade. I don't know I, I was just kind of like plopped in the projects of Hayward and Oakland trying to figure out how i'm going to like support myself at a really young age and uh, and I guess I did. I mean, I was a true capitalist I would buy people's lunch coupons because my mom was too proud to really fill out for them. We totally qualified, but she's like, no, we're not getting those. Here's five bucks. You figure out how you're going to feed yourself for the day. And it was really a blessing in a way. Um, but I found that I could buy a lunch coupon for you know 75 cents or a dollar, even trade for it. And then I could buy lots of people's lunch coupons, and then sell them to people that are trying to buy lunch. And then next thing you know, I've got a whole business going. So I guess I—you were I, a hyper capitalist, yeah, a, as, a, as a youth. Of course, I didn't know it because I was like 11 years old or 10 years old. But uh, yeah, I was a hyper capitalist, I guess. And uh, I guess where we're at now is what are what is debt. Um, and debt is more than just student debt. Uh, student debt exists, be- uh, for the most part, I mean, I could speak about myself and probably a lot of other people, is that you feel like you're kind of a loser if you don't go to college, graduate with a degree. The bigger the degree, the better. Uh, if it's a doctor or a lawyer, the better, right? I mean, that's, that's the idea. And then a lot of people will be like, shit, I don't know, these classes suck. I don't, I'm, I'm gonna get a degree in anything because any degree is better than nothing. And then we, you know, if, if we don't have rich parents, you know, unless we're like, have a really good lunch coupon buying business when we're younger and we save up for college while we're in elementary and junior high, you know, and we don't spend all our money on pot when we're in high school and girlf- and a girlfriend or whatever, uh, then we, uh, you know, we, we have to take on student debt and we take on this debt at 7% interest and we like, you know, forbear it to the future, which just basically means we like put it is in Is that this- what
0: people pay on average for, for student loan debt?
2: Seven percent. Yeah. Seven percent on average. Imagine a mortgage at seven percent. That's wild. You know, because the amount of student debt is 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 if you have a graduate degree, oftentimes the amount of a mortgage, unless you live in uh, one of the, you know, coastal states, in which case your you know, your rent or your mortgage is huge. And and again, a mortgage is rent. And so a lot of people think, well, I don't, you know, I don't have debt, you know, and they, they say that because they don't have a mortgage. But you know, you, you you have a mortgage if you're paying rent. You you have to. You're in debt because you don't have land. You know, even when slaves were freed, the idea was is they were supposed to be provided with some land and ability to live on said land and earn a livelihood of some way. And uh, we don't have land now. Um, I, I'm not proclaiming that I know exactly how to solve that. There are some great ideas around this, but we're all in debt. And I think it's important to understand that we're in debt if we don't own our land outright and we don't grow our own food, we're renting food. That, that's considered rents. It used to be at least 100 years ago, if you didn't produce your own food, you, your, your food were rent costs. That was part oh, of man. a rent. If you don't make you it, you got to buy it. So yeah, that's a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's a form of debt. So student debt is essentially debt in order to be able to learn a skill that you don't know, that you don't get taught from your family, uh, so that you could be able to earn a livelihood. So you go into debt for your ability to be able to learn how to make money to pay back that debt and other debts.
0: So that you can afford to go into other debt when you buy a house or land or what have you.
2: Yeah. And then there's like, you know, you hear things now where there's good debt and bad debt. And really what debt is about is if you have, you know, it's all about cash flow. So if you, you know, you know, it's great to own, a, to be millions of, how, how, debt, how much in debt is Trump? You know, he's billions of dollars in debt, but his cash flow is so great, you know, and, and we deal with this entirely abstract concept that money has become totally disengaged from nature and uh, and I think that maybe this COVID nineteen economic crash forced separation is an maybe the beginning of an initiation into a potentially different way of working with money and trade and gift and uh, and our currencies. We don't have to abolish money, but like the actual way that currency functions can be changed, and it could be uh, linked to the rest of the natural process, and it could be. Uh, more fair without being "quote unquote" what people would consider communistic, and it could still allow people to grow uh, wealth based on a, a new story of values that we that that we have. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, there there was a time where money uh, simply represented something else. You know, where money represented literal bars of gold, or maybe even represented milk at some point, or eggs, or something concrete that you were just representing the exchange of. Uh, at, at this point, though, uh, what money is in our current society can't be remotely related to what it was when it was just a simple medium of exchange. Now money is completely manipulated by governments, by um, non-government entities like like the Federal Reserve, uh, and we could do you know a whole seven
2: hours about that, too. Yeah, it's a dangerous slope to go down. Don't worry, I'm not gonna to go too deep down that. Um, but it's interesting that you said it was based on something concrete, which is you know somewhat of a secure, strong substance, at least in our day. A lot of us have never seen a bar of gold, but we've seen a bar of concrete. Right. Uh, you know, There was a time where people saw bars of gold. And then we go, okay, well, it was based on gold. Money was you know, essentially uh, 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 represented as a certain value of gold or silver, right? But why was gold chosen as the, the backing? Why was money, why was gold the backing of money? And the idea with gold being the back of the money is that gold, as interesting as it is, is one of the only materials that doesn't go through an entropic process, meaning it doesn't uh, decay and then provide new life. As a matter of fact, gold just kind of sits there and doesn't do anything unless you, you know. Use it for dental work or for electronics or like building jewelry with it, but it doesn't go through an entropic process that allows more life to grow from it. It's kind of dead, actually. Uh, and I think maybe uh, the idea that money could be this permanent thing that continues to either stay the same or even worse, continue to grow uh, is part of the pr- is part of the problem. Is that it becomes fixed? And I think we're being invited into looking at you know, what in the hell are we doing with uh, the stored wealth of humanity? Uh, Is it distributed in a way that is best for the planet? You know, I'm not saying that, like, we need to give equals to everybody and then, you know, restart the game. I I don't know if it's that simple. I think, honestly, if they did that, the money would just immediately go back in the same hands it's in. Uh, But that's because we're not looking at the fact that the idea of currency— should maybe be based on something uh, more like nature. How does that currency go through a decay? And there's a term for this called negative interest or Demiurge, which essentially devalues money over time, forcing it to circulate. Uh, Again, the reason that these Mm -hmm. stimulus checks have gone out and SBA SBA loans and PPP loans is due to COVID, it has stopped the velocity of money. So it's stopped the circulation of it because people can't meet or do anything. So... uh, So here you go. And then then the minute you stop the circulation of money, you've got pyramid schemes coming out under whatever new name that they are. Uh, And uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if... uh I don't know where to stop talking in this, in, in this part. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm the same
0: way, Zach. I actually just did a podcast right before this one. And I, at some point during every answer, I'm like, am I still answering the original question? And then I just have to say, hey, stop me when you need to. I'm very ranty uh, in a similar way. But uh, this is good because I, I like ranty stuff. And I like to go down weird, weird uh, different alleyways that my listeners aren't necessarily used to hearing. Cause these are really big topics and really big conversations. And th- these are the kind of ideas that I want people to start thinking about in a different way. Whether it's a right way or a wrong way isn't necessarily the point. But but I think we've all grown up with... Being having certain concepts shoved down our throat, and that kind of leads us right into the student debt crisis because it's really like you, like you kind of alluded to before. Uh, it's become something where it's part, it's all part of the package of this American dream. Where what you do is you go to school, then you take out debt and go to college, and that's not going to be a problem because you're going to make enough money to pay it back. So don't even worry about that. Let's just shuffle that to the side. Then you're going to get a job for a company and then put a lot of your money into a 401k because the stock market is the absolute best place to put your money, and we're going to give you some tracks breaks so that works out and uh, we want you to save your money though because eventually you're going to need a down payment for a loan on the house so you can go into even more debt and this is the this, this, this cycle continues in, in every stage of our life if we just go along with what we're told to do with what we're basically programmed to do from the beginning uh, Michael I don't want to show you out here I'm curious if you have any kind of thoughts if you want to kind of segue a little bit into the actual like, like our current student loan crisis if you could maybe give a little background on kind of maybe some of the steps that got people to where we are like they got people to the point where there is such a massive amount of debt simply in these, what for many people now, especially millennials are finding out are essentially worthless degrees.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's something like 1.7 trillion. In total, federal student loan debt uh, put across about 37 million borrowers. That might be off by that. Actually, sounds small when you realize that yeah. Congress just spent like three million and or three trillion and like in like in
0: the scope of one bill. But uh, it's really it's really frightening that that now sounds small, whereas last year it would be more shocking. Shocking, but that speaks to how much money just gets created out of nowhere.
1: That's that's a fair fair statement. It's yeah, a law
2: law of rel- relativity though. So yeah. uh, what we've got to be careful of uh, and what we watch is. Uh, when inflation happens, you know other things become very valuable. Like a lot of people are really focused on UBI. You know this stimulus looks a lot like universal basic income. You know what type of social dividend should Americans have for their participation in America? That has become, whether you think it's a great country or not a great country, whatever country it is, it's become this country. What, uh, based on its wealth, should people receive some type of dividend? Like, has anybody other than Jeff Bezos and the investors in Amazon contributed anyway to the success of Amazon, for example, but on a larger scale of the country of America and uh, of the United States I can 't say America because they're South America, Central America, as you know because you 're in one of them America so, yeah, exactly. Uh, wall or no wall uh, it's it's still there, part of the same continent um, so the uh, the concept is though, if, if UBI did get released, universal basic income. Uh, it would have to be fixed against something else otherwise what we run into is real estate would then climb up to absorb the new uh, the new money that's gone in there inflation essentially would just uh, swallow it whole and uh, and i think our currency system and our economic system needs to be base to protect that from happening, to protect mass amounts of accumulation from getting stuck and from not uh, uh, serving humanity and this planet. Because, you know, it might serve some humans, but if it doesn't serve the planet as a whole, then we end up in the mess we're in. But I just totally hijacked the conversation from...
1: No, you're great. Another, another relevance number to try to ground that is I think it'd be one in 10 Americans have an average of about 30,000 in federal student loan debt. So one in 10 people, you know, are, are carrying that weight. Um, and it's it's a it's fascinating because it's one of the only areas where our federal government is actually truly profitable. They're making a ton of money off of this 1.7 trillion accruing at six seven percent average interest rate. And one of the things that people you know some have kind of heard this when they get burned on it, but basically they've made it nearly impossible to have your federal loans discharged in the normal bankruptcy process, which is um, not uh, not. F- fair and really kind of unconstitutional if you want to kind of get down to how that's, how that's uh, worked out. And so it's interesting, though, because it comes with um, a really bright side of things where almost everyone I run into with federal student loans is either avoiding their loans to great detriment. Interest is getting piled on and compounding. And every time they look, it's bigger and scarier. I, I know people that had six
0: figure debt that mm-hmm. just gave up at some point because they said, I can't keep up with this. I may as well just give up because I'm never going to catch up to it. So why pay any of it? So I'm just going to let it go. And,
1: you know, I guess they will face... I don't know. I don't, uh,
0: know. I don't even know what the consequences will be.
1: I really, I really hope we can reach some of those people because it doesn't yeah. matter. You could have $2 million in federal student loan debt, and if you know how these income-driven repayment and loan forgiveness laws actually function, it'll clear up your credit issues. You'll be able to buy homes again and not have to be feared of, of garnishment or tax, you know, taxes being garnished. There's all kinds of consequences that come from this when most of your friends that you're talking about would probably be able to scoot into a $0 a month payment, get back on track, fix their credit just by now navigating this, this strange system. So what I was trying to say is, um, even though you can't discharge them in bankruptcy, the mechanism that creates that, are called these income-driven repayment plans that have been around now for 25 plus years, and still people are just slammed with not knowing the right information, or they had a bad experience when they called on their loans one time, or their 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 weird uncle told them that you know loan forgiveness is for millennials looking for handouts, or some weird disconnect happened, and they don't know the federal laws that protect them from ever having a payment that that is um, uh, uncomfortable, like. If you're not at a $0 payment, it's going to be minuscule, even if you have a fairly sizable income, based on knowing how to navigate the laws. And that's that's where we specialize. It's. It, I wish I could just condense it down to a meme or two and just solve the problem. Um, but it, it takes a little bit of time to navigate. But the, the bottom line is we have solved this federal student loan problem for for consumers. And it's critical information. So
0: is the crux of the the matter here that in terms of solving this crisis at the sort of person to person level, that On the one hand, we're pushed; these these loans are pushed upon us. We're all told, whether it's culturally, directly through the government, just what our parents passed down, that we all got to go to college, so we all got to get these loans. But don't worry; they're backed by the government. They really advertise that part very, very heavily. But it sounds like what they don't advertise is the other end of it—the sort of all the little secret rules and things that you can use to to make your situation better. But you never hear about that part. I mean, you know, the fact that I'm sure there are many people listening right now that have been in debt for years that don't, don't even know that they're there are these sort of you know, other ways around things. So yeah. is, is that part of the, the, the design of the system in a sense? I mean, do you think there's a, I don't know, a, a nefarious design in a way that we put these loopholes in or these ways for people to get out of it? But why, if we have them there, why don't people know about them to the extent that you have to start a whole business to help people mm-hmm. navigate the system?
1: You want to take that, Zach?
2: I do, I do, I do, because okay. my answer is going to be surprising to you. I actually think, and I, and I wouldn't have answered it the same way uh, uh, maybe five years ago, I actually think we're actually dealing with the causes of uh, the best intentions. There's a saying about the road to hell being paved with them, but I believe that Uh, The idea was, is that after World War II, uh, every American had the right to go to college and there were grants and, you know, and if they couldn't qualify for grants, they would get student loans. And everybody had the right, it doesn't matter about your credit, your background, every American citizen could, you know, have the American dream of getting an education, getting whatever job they want. And then that began this whole, like, uh, you know, you must do it. I'm entitled to it. Uh, And, and, you know, and then that turned into uh, other schools, for-profit schools coming in and saying, well, we have all this federal money that anybody could qualify for. All we got to do is sell people on why they should be a, you know, vet tech or nothing against vet techs. We need vet techs, but whatever, you know, profession that is. And, you know, I remember seeing these things as a child on television, And all of a sudden, it was completely disassociated from any level of accountability. And I'm not saying accountability from, you know, people that grow up in inner cities or people that grow up in, you know, rural areas that take on this debt. But accountability of these schools that are run by, you know, CEOs and and investors and, and, I I mean, Trump University. I mean, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know... There's things that get called school. They qualify for federal funding, and uh, and yet they don't have any. They're not linked with the student in their ability to actually earn the income to pay back the debt. So it's kind of like I remember a South Park uh, cartoon once, where it was about underwear gnomes, and it was like, you know, steal underwear. That's step one. Step two, and step three is profit. And they never get to quite what step two is, and so the idea is that every American There's something missing in the equation here and I think it's beautiful I think you know it's it's beautiful if you have a really successful financially successful country uh, granted it's built on the backs of a lot of people that may not you know do they should they have some type of social dividend, but um you know at least enough to survive uh, and not be worried about survival needs because I could say a lot of the the real stress that comes in violence and crime comes from survival needs but uh, I'm trying to loop this back in somehow. I want to. I want to. I want to yeah. step in a little bit, Zach. <laughs> step in, um, Michael.
1: Okay. Um, the cost of schooling has gone up double compared to the regular rate of inflation. And the schools are kind of in this catch 22, where they're attracting students and saying, Oh, we have this level of success of our students afterwards, they don't want to admit that they're giving loans that are far in excess of the likelihood of the income potential of their students. And so they're not um, their their narrative is just like preventing them from having a professional uh, assistance with the loan. So the schools take no accountability. They don't teach people about loan forgiveness and income driven repayment at all. Um, And then on the federal government side, the laws really are complicated. Like the first form of this came out in the mid 90s. There's now six different loan forgiveness style plans that you can choose from. And it's not the federal servicers themselves are generally, you know, 12 to 14 an hour employees with no background in finance. They're reading stuff off a screen. They can't handle
2: managing 47 million borrowers. Growers. Yeah, managing forty-seven million dollars,
1: yeah. um, and they're not—they're not trained enough to give. And, and when you have the difference in someone's output, where they might pay, you know, less than what they owe a long time from now, or they're going to pay double at huge monthly payments, like it's an insane amount of money at risk, and people are putting their hands in untrained staff, and it's it's really frustrating. Hey there, kitty cats. I need
0: to take a quick time out here to tell you about another awesome Libertarian podcast. This is our good friends, Nate and Charlie, over at Good Morning Liberty. These son of a guns, they do this thing five days a week, and they absolutely kill it. Uh, these guys are both musicians, and they both actually own a business working in the healthcare IT industry, so they've seen a lot of what goes on in a, a highly intervened-in market like healthcare, so they have a lot of great insight And they really do a bang up job talking about current events and really speaking to a lot of the news that's in the headlines and filtering it all through the ideas of liberty and kind of uh, shutting down socialist solutions that come up. So you can find more by subscribing on all your favorite podcasts app, wherever you listen to this one, you can probably find, not probably, you can definitely find Good Morning Liberty or you can check out their website, BernieLies.com. What a great name. Head over to BernieLies.com or search for Good Morning Liberty. You are not going to regret subscribing to this awesome show, I just want to follow up on one thing you said, Michael. Real quick, is that you know about, like, pertaining to the cost of school and how you, how you said it's doubled. Like, what do you think, from your perspective, contributes to the, that cost increasing so much? Because it can't be just the cost of the facilities, the cost of the teachers, or maybe it can be, but
2: it is. It's the for-profit schools competing. I don't mean to hijack this again from you, Michael. It's the uh, the, the for-profit schools are essentially. Uh, driving up the bar. So they will say, you know, we have this cool... uh, I mean, just think of Arizona, for example. Uh, What attracts... You're essentially marketing to 18-year-olds. What attracts an 18-year-old to want to go to your school? If they can get into Harvard and Yale, great. But outside of that, it's like, what is the most cool... You know, uh, dorm rooms. What is the most cool event auditorium? You know, what is the most cool? St- Where's the know, best party football arena? Where's the best party school? Right. So
0: which I've I've always thought. You know, I, I partied in college quite a bit, but I, ever since I you know I left college and worked professionally, and I, I met people that did what I do, uh, that some of which have degrees, some of which didn't, I started to think, man, I could have just probably moved to that town and partied without paying without paying all that money.
1: Yeah. And and if you know that your all of your students coming in can get uh, huge amounts of federal student loans, basically infinite amount of graduate loans, if you're um, going for a graduate degree, then it's really easy to want to up the price of your school when you know that we will for sure get funded regardless of someone's credit history, too. And
0: mm-hmm. I think that's part of the crux of the pricing problem there, because, you know, these schools can raise their prices all they want and promote themselves as giving value all they want, but at the end of the day, if people don't have money for it, they're, that they're going to be mitigated in how much people and their, their price will be mitigated naturally in, in a for in an actual market where people were limited in what they can pay. But when you have the federal government basically just saying, writing these checks for however big they are, there's really no constraint, to, like you said, on, on what they're, they can charge.
2: Yeah, and you got to remember that just like a competitive market, like a competitive job market or a competitive dating market. The schools are in a competitive market for the students, and if they don't have the best campuses and the latest cutting edge theater and all of that shit, then uh, you are not you're going to be struggling to have students, and you're not going to have full attendance. So they're put in a kind of a double bind situation where they're actually struggling oftentimes financially because they're continuously improving the facilities in order to mm-hmm. essentially market to eighteen year olds to, to justify their
0: their prices for whatever. You know, if if you're going to have a a really expensive tuition, you have to be able to say you, you have to be offering more than an education because everybody's offering that. You got to be mm-hmm. offering whether it's a nice campus, an awesome football team, uh, your connections, or whatever that may be. They have to add in all this extra marketing in order to justify it.
2: Totally. And some of those things cost a lot of money. And uh, they, the schools are like, you know, uh, I don't know, like I, I think of like, they make them cool, you know. And sometimes that there's a lot of, there's a, there's a expensive price tag to the veneer, of uh, making something look really cool. And it creates a competitive environment for the schools, which then charges them to have higher tuitions. Uh, And again, I guess maybe the the more challenging thing is, is why in the hell does somebody have to listen to Lions of Liberty podcast in order to get some insight on how to repay their student debt in a way that makes sense, that that doesn't lead to a life of, you know, kind of, Uh, peonage or indentured servitude in some way, at least the feeling of that.
0: Why isn't this part of the package from the upfront? You know, here's what loan you can get and here's all the ways you can, you know, mitigate what you pay. I mean, they only give you half of it, it seems.
2: Because the buyer would beware if they're told, hey, this is the average amount of people. This is what you're really going to make after you graduate. This is what the average person makes. Uh, This is what your life's really going to look like.
0: Because to to tell them about all the ways to get out of it and all the ways to navigate things, you have to first admit that you're going to be saddled with a bunch of debt and you're going to have trouble getting out of it in the first place. Uh, Exactly. Yep.
2: Yep. And uh, and and I think that 18-year-olds don't want to swallow that pill. And they essentially haven't had too, they end up having to swallow the pill later, which sucks, you know, like, you know, they say, oh, millennials, you know, I'm from Generation X, right on the borderline of millennial, I'm 40. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, they say, oh, millennials, you know, they're lazy or whatever. You know, I don't know, maybe that's, you know, partially built into all of what's going on. But a lot of it's the fact that the cheeses move, the opportunity to be able to own a home unless you work for Facebook or Google or can become a doctor, you can't go get a blue collar job without going to school oftentimes these days and be able to afford a home and like raise a family like it's just virtually impossible you end up you know having to move to mexico or something in order to be able to do that well (laughs) do something crazy like that.
0: Uh, one thing I want to dovetail into as you're talking about uh, sort of how a lot of colleges have to upgrade their campuses and provide these amazing facilities, how do you see what's going on now the the uh, with the coronavirus um, response and uh, just the general fear that is embracing much of the populace with this stuff and the fact that these universities are now allowing, you know, you know uh, the ability to take these classes from home, do your work from home, do everything remotely. How much is this going to affect a lot of these universities' ability to market themselves with great facilities if people actually are starting to maybe realize, maybe for not a great reason, a great circumstance anyway, uh, that they don't really need facilities to learn? Do you think this, this what's going on, this this crisis uh, or the response to the crisis, however you want to look at it, is going to change this this equation at all?
2: Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, I've actually been surprised that more and more people aren't seeing that as it is. I think that the reason that People go to school mostly these days is to appease their parents, and 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 you know unless they're actually going after a degree that's very job specific, like becoming a doctor, plumber, air, heating and air conditioning, veterinarian. You know, like I need to get a degree in order to get this license. You know, law uh, to be able to practice. And so for those people that are going after these licenses, if they could do that remotely, which internet you know learning has already taken off. Uh, but I think this is going to be a huge catalyst to move in that direction, and education, frankly, should be more affordable. Like why in the hell do you have to go into a quarter million dollars of debt to become a chiropractor? like I, I, and you know I, I could figure I could hear like chiropractic schools like not wanting me ever to speak there after saying that, uh, but I think that they're in the same boat of competing with other schools. You have to compete so you have to continuously increase your resources. but uh yeah, I think that. You know, I, I consider myself an autodidact, and I and I would you know invite others to maybe really look into that, uh, what that means. The meaning of that is essentially I like to self teach based on what I'm interested in, and uh, I'm blessed with the ability to be able to uh, have the impetus to be able to turn that into a livelihood, and maybe some teaching around how to earn a livelihood doing what it is that we enjoy doing. It doesn't have to be that we do everything we enjoy at all moments of time. I'm singing this perfect thing at all times and that's what I do. Uh, A lot of times, you know, life comes with some things we don't enjoy mixed with some things we really, really enjoy Uh, and being able to not be so, you know, boxed in, not so specialized where all I know how to do is work on, you know, people get very specific in their skill set because they're able to charge more the more specificity they have. Uh, yeah, long roundabout way of saying Shit, I don't know what the hell is going to happen With uh, education after COVID But uh, I know that there's people I, I live on uh, uh, me, and my, me and my fiance just bought an 86 acre property On the coast of Hawaii uh, And there's these uh, And it two, looks
0: amazing You sent me a,
2: an awesome video of it
0: It looks absolutely spectacular
2: It's like a slice of heaven And it took, a, it took some real miracle to have that happen uh, Growing up in the projects I never quite even had that on my vision board You know Uh, so, uh, there you go, but there's a couple here and she's about to go to grad school and she thought she was going to move back to the, you know, the, what they call the mainland and she's going, well, maybe I'll stay in Hawaii and, you know, I maybe could go to school from here and go to a school that's on the mainland and maybe that's what we're moving towards is where, you know, maybe even people in other countries could go to school uh, wherever they want to go, as opposed to being limited to like, this is the classroom size. And then there could be more tutors as opposed to professors just lecturing. And, uh, and, and then we could even ask questions of like, what is it that, our, that society really needs right now? Like, what I'm desperate in desperate need of right now is farmers. We have 86 acres here and there's, you know, one single crop growing, which is lychee. You know, thankfully it sells for like, you know, $8 a pound on, on uh, Honolulu. Uh, in Honolulu and on Oahu, uh, but like what what I'd really love to do is really build beauty, is to be led by beauty, to be led by uh, living a life that is you know aesthetically pleasing, uh, in you know in all of its sensory in in all of its sensory and intellectual forms, and uh, and I think maybe that's the type of education that people could begin to seek out, and I think that maybe they've a lot of people have had this quarantine serve them in that way and have uncovered some of their loves. Now, granted, some people have just tried to mask their traumas the minute they stop working. It's like all that shit surfaces. Thank God this happened for me now, as opposed to 10 years ago, because uh, shit, it would have been a very different experience. And I very and I empathize with the people in that situation deeply.
0: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful in many ways. I, 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 of course, wish there was no such thing as COVID or no such thing as government lockdowns and everything, but I live in the world where it is, and I'm pretty grateful that I am. In the place mentally really more than anything else that I am in life now where instead of just being depressed over the situation i, I I'm taking action and you know I'm, I'm doing things to improve myself and I'm not just sitting around uh, waiting for things to change because I, I think that's gonna be a really long wait but uh, you know we're getting off topic but that's that's the nature of things as I, as we discuss uh, one thing I want to talk about a little bit more before we wind down here uh, is um really want to get into like some actionable steps that people can take maybe even if they're not Maybe if they just have like a small amount of, of debt uh, of some kind, like just those little things that maybe you guys could touch on um, that people might not even think of. Um, obviously, uh, we want people to that really need help to actually co- come to you guys and uh, you know and check out what you guys are doing at Student Loan Tutor. But are there just some little things that everyday things that people don't think of that they could do like tonight if they're listening right now and maybe they have that thirty thousand dollars in debt? What can so, What are just like little actions people can take to, to start themselves down a path of getting themselves out of this crisis instead of just continually looking you know outside for solutions?
2: I'd love for Michael to talk about the specifics of it, but the philosophical piece is to really deal with the shame that surrounds being in debt and not having been able to pay it. Uh, A lot of people just don't look at their debt because they're just like, I'm just going to work my ass off, nose to the grindstone, pull myself up by my proverbial bootstraps and somehow pay this fucking thing off at some point. And, uh, and I use that very loud language because, you know, that's kind of the <clears throat> aggressiveness that we have with ourselves or we're taught to have with ourselves and to not really be gentle with ourselves. And, uh, cause maybe it's looking like it's, you know, an excuse. Uh, so I guess really work on the shame element of like understanding that you were brought into a world where everything's kind of owned already. And, you know, that's just the way it is bitching about it and all that's not going to help too much, but you know, feel that, feel that, and then feel okay with, trying to find a solution. Because oftentimes there, are, there, there is a solution to student loan debt. Our phones should be blowing up off the hook at all times. We should have a line, a cross-state line, for people to get help with, with, with student debt. If people are logical and rational, it makes complete financial sense in every way to call us and get help with your student debt. And also to call and get help with taxes. And also to call and you know, get help with a lot of things. But the reason people don't seek therapy, that they don't seek marriage counseling is due to shame generally. So deal with the shame piece. But on the actual practice, side, yeah. Michael, what, what can they do?
1: Uh, I'll try to make it as, as brief as possible. Unfortunately, it is it is kind of overly complex, but the element here is you want your loans to get on track for forgiveness. So uh, everybody that has direct loans right now has been put in because of the CARES Act. They've been put into a, a temporary suspension of interest and payments for the next six months. That should give people a big clue that their debt is not nearly so concrete or um, uh, f- terrible as it might first appear. Um, Anybody who's been going down this road needs to be aware of the income-driven repayment plans that are available to them and to enroll immediately, especially uh, during this kind of unsettling times you might have income disruption whatever it doesn't matter what happened on your last year's taxes for instance when you're talking to them about documenting income or household size and it is stressful right it's really stressful to fill out government paperwork and wonder if you put the right box in and and all these other things Um, the department of education ultimately is is this kind of debt is actually fairly benevolent and it's really, really favorable. It's the best kind of debt you'll ever have. Um, Some tips on this are make sure you have direct loans. If you don't have them, um, often it's a good move to consolidate all of your non-direct loans and have direct loans. And then of all the different- But not always. But not always. If you have older loan types and you've been on a- Course for, for five, ten years, it might not be advisable. It gets complicated. But if you're a more recent graduate, you probably already have all direct loans. In which case, what plan do you want to go into? Don't trust the box that says "put me in the best plan" because it won't put you in the best plan. You want revised pay as you earn, R E P A Y E. Ninety percent of my clients are there. Again, there are exceptions to these rules, but if I'm just trying to help someone that has thirty thousand or less, this isn't like the worst mountain on their back, but it is. Is disruptive. You don't want to be paying three, four, five hundred dollars a month towards this. That's multiple nice cars or a good down, you know, a good payment towards the the property you want to move into someday. Get that debt out of your life. Move to a zero dollar payment scenario. And if you're self-employed, if you are, um, if you have variance in your pay stubs, if you're nomadic at all, you do lots of different things. um, You really should be at a zero dollar payment for as long as those things are true. If you're making quarter million a year as a as a as a vet somewhere you're probably going to have above a $0 payment. But the fact of it is, even those people probably have really enormous graduate loans and need this. So it's, it's hard for me to boil it down uh, super, super concretely. But if you have a small amount of debt, check if you have direct loans, get yourself into revised pay as you earn. If you call the servicer and they're saying that uh, everything you just heard me say doesn't sound true to them, it's probably because they were hired yesterday and they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You, if you if you have the experience and time for this, you can call your servicer five different times and ask the same question and get five different answers, unfortunately. It's really, really pretty messy. Um, but you also should know that you don't have to show your federal tax return to document income. If you had a great year last year in taxes, but now business is faltering or you're in between jobs because of the crisis there's something called alternative income documentation and you should know how they both work so that you can always have the lowest payment it gets weird and i and i really like advise if you have over 50,000 in federal loans it's kind of like now you've got a difficult tax situation and you'd probably consult a CPA or find someone that's good at taxes and you should probably get a professional in federal student loans and most companies that are out there that even do anything similar to us are like weird huge call center operations that don't have that personal touch and don't actually care and don't have the reputation uh, that we do. So maybe it's unusual that that you'd find us through uh, lines of liberty at this point. But you know, it's an unusual world we live in. And sometimes you get handed that that life preserver and it just makes things really crystal clear and and you get that support. So if what I'm saying sounds complicated at all, we just charge a $50 deposit to have an hour long consultation and build a life of loan strategy that will forever remove uh, the burden of your federal student loan debt. I can say that uh, with, with full confidence. Well,
0: I can tell you that um, our, our audience is uh, very largely leaning towards the millennial demographic um, and maybe maybe the higher end being around, you know, my my Zach's age around 40. So I, I think just by, this, by the numbers alone, there's got to be a, a decent number of people listening who are uh, affected by this in one
1: way or another. And, and these ones, you know, younger borrowers are starting to hear more that there's income-driven repayment plans and there's some options out there for them. Um, but, you know, most people's experience is they come out of school, they don't have much income, the $0 payment comes easily if they get if they even find the right plan to go into. But then a couple years later, they throw a big, uh, a big gear on their taxes, and their payment goes through the roof, and they have no idea how to navigate that. And it's just like, it's so nice to know what the rules are from the get go and have a life of loan strategy in place so that it's just never an issue for you.
2: We also do a holistic, fully holistic planning. I mean, we have an enrolled IRS agent. That doesn't mean he works for the IRS. It means he has the highest designation you can have at the IRS. And he works with us and he works uh, 100% on the gift, meaning that uh, he'll give tax strategy advice, you know, what type of corporations you need to form, what type of receipts you need to keep, what's a write-off, what's not, how to structure your life in that way. And you could pay him whatever you feel that that value is. And he saves people, you know, gosh, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars a year uh, all the time doing that. So uh, uh, we look at this problem of being in debt as a holistic problem. I mean, it's not just student debt. You have to pay taxes as well. You, you know, I wish I could solve the real estate problem. I lucked into 86 acres. But for a lot of people, you know, that's a big challenge to get in there without burying yourself and having no money left over at the end of the month. So. Yeah, when I solve that, I'll be back on this show and I'll tell you. Awesome.
0: Uh, Well, Zach, Michael, uh, two of the things I really try to do with the show the most are to get people thinking about Concepts in different ways um, and sort of that things so even even within the sort of libertarian bubble which we have to some extent I like to get people thinking about you know a lot of the different concepts whether it's money whether it's debt uh, etc in, in different ways than they're used to thinking about and I like to present people uh, through my guests with solutions actual real world things they can do in life to fix their situation or help their situation and I think we were able to accomplish both here today so I, I thank you both for uh, for coming on and uh, you know sharing sharing your thoughts and sharing what you guys are doing at Student Loan Tutor so I. Just before I let you guys go, I wanted to give you one more chance to uh, plug Student Loan Tuner, let people know exactly how they can reach out to you guys if they have any more questions or or want to look into this further. And also feel free to plug away on anything else you got going on. Michael, if you want to talk about uh, it, give a little plug to your your mayoral campaign, feel free to do that or, you know, plug away on anything
1: you guys got. Well, uh, when it comes to student loans, um just look up www.studentloantutor.com and you'll have our number there quick and call. And we, we do help a lot of self-employed physicians. And so our website is geared that way, but that's just a specialty. It's like we can help anybody with federal student loans. It just takes more nuance when someone's self-employed. So pretty easy to find us, call and get the help. And and I think you'll really enjoy the experience. We've made the whole thing just like illuminating and fun and right to the point, get you prepared. And once you hand off uh, the, the reins, uh, the problem, solved and we actually do paperwork on behalf of our clients so it's it becomes a whole different experience. We like to say we're the next best thing to not having student loans in the first place. Um, as far as uh, you know just the, the vision that we're, I think we're sharing about like the future of debt and, and, and the more beautiful world that's that's in our hearts like um, I, I'm under Michael the Mayor in Service to Life uh, is is the uh, page that I run um, here on Facebook and um, michaelthemayor.com and it's just about you know really bringing government transparency bringing ecological priorities back into play, bringing our communities back together, um, using opportunities like uh, COVID-19 to, to bring our, our neighbors back into communication with one another. And, you know, I really believe there should be a, a neighborhood center within walking distance of every neighborhood where people can have mutual aid and learn gardening and share tools and share resources and even share best practices about finance, whether it's getting screwed on student loans or getting screwed on taxes or whatever else. We need to start opening up and being more transparent. And this is a really important time as we're shifting, uh, with COVID-19 and, and with this pause in society, we can finally get to the bottom of some of these things that have been really, uh, huge, uh, monkeys on our backs. So definitely encourage people to, to get connected and, uh, and make a difference wherever they may be and to start talking about their traumas, whether it's financial or anything else. Let's try to find, uh, some dialogue and some healing in all of this. Zach, feel free to plug away as well.
2: Yeah. Um, you could engage more with, uh, with the different ideas that I probably touched on briefly here on zeitgeist with Zach Geist. Uh, that's the podcast zeitgeist with Zach. You Geist. almost had
0: to use that word uh, with your name.
2: I, <laughs> I name had to, use- it was just, it was totally appropriate and, and totally unintentional with the name. Um, and then also we've got some cool things coming up, uh, with the land here. We have 86 acres, Uh, private road, private waterfalls, pools, ocean fronts. See, that's Uh, something
0: libertarians are going to love, the private road. If there's one way to get libertarians (laughs) on your side, it's to talk about the private (laughs) roads.
2: Private road, hydroelectric power, so we're completely off grid. Uh, uh, We have river water that's run through filters coming from the tallest mountain on earth, if you measure from the base, Mauna Kea, uh, as well as uh, rainwater catchment. So we're able to catch rain here in in Hawaii, which is cool because some places it's illegal to catch rain. Uh, and so, yeah, we're going. To, we're starting the Rainbow Bridge Sanctuary where we bring people together to talk more about different ideas, like we've talked about here, retreat center, uh, as well as farm. Uh, and then, uh, I guess, kind of what I wanted to touch on is if any of your listeners were looking, we've been looking for years now for an attorney that kind of fits into the, you know, this. Mindset. Uh, maybe they're not super experienced, but they graduated and they have, you know, the ability. They're they're barred, and uh, you know, and they want to help out with student debt, and they want to help out with debt and bankruptcy, and uh, and just. Help our clients. Uh, we would. Lo- we're we're always looking for someone with the right heart, and that's been really difficult to find in the legal profession. It's almost like an initiation out of soul. In my experience, I'm sure there's some beautiful attorneys, but I have struggled <laughs> uh, for a long time to try to find that. And a lot of that might be economic. You got a quarter million dollars of debt. It's going to be really hard to like take a job that your heart feels is right because it might not pay uh, what you think you should earn. Struggling through that whole process. But yeah, if you're an attorney and uh, what we do interests you, then, you know, feel free to reach out on our Facebook at Student Loan Tutor.
0: Well, Zach, Michael, thank you so much. And I think uh, as with about just about any crisis, whether it's uh, COVID or, or what have you, or whether it's a student debt crisis, at the end of the day, the only way to get out of it is by empowering people with the ways that they can help themselves out of it or by helping each other out of it. You know, it's not going to come from, from, you know, from some great leader from above just pointing to a solution and, and happening. So uh, I'm really proud to have you guys on uh, to talk about the way you guys are, are, are playing your own part in that. So thank you so much, guys. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> All right, kitty cats. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Zach Geis and Michael Kundick. Of student loan tutor, these guys are doing an awesome thing out there. They are finding a free market solution to helping people to solve the student debt crisis by helping individuals navigate the system and solve the problem on their own without calling for giant bailouts or anything like that. So I know you guys have have heard uh, you know throughout the show today probably a few things here and there uh, that you might have you know thought oh that I don't agree with what Zach's saying there about I don't know debt or what have you or something about money and uh, or, or land use or land ownership or anything like that. But, uh, you know, that Zach, I, specifically, I, I'm only getting to know Michael uh, today. Uh, Zach, I've heard on a bunch of shows. I've listened to his podcast and he's a really interesting guy that goes takes really concepts and brings them in a different direction. And I know a lot of what he's saying is definitely outside uh, what is normally heard in the libertarian sphere. Uh, Zach's not a libertarian as far as I know per se, um, but he definitely has some overlap. And regardless of what you think of uh, some of their views in other areas, these are two guys who, in this situation, are definitely using capitalism to solve a problem, uh, and I think they're doing a hell of a job. So I do want to encourage everyone to check out Student uh, Loan Tutor, really, because I think you can learn a lot uh, just by what these guys are doing. If you know anyone that is in student debt or if you yourself have student debt, uh, they can really help you fix this problem on your own uh, because there are ways to do so. So I think that, that's an amazing service. Really enjoy talking to both of these guys, and I really enjoy getting a little bit outside the bubble now and again, so I think we were able to accomplish all of that here today. I also want to tell you about a couple other things going on. Uh, I just appeared on a couple shows recently, I was with Pete Caniones on his show free man beyond the wall on Friday, talking about uh, my little escape from Los Angeles, California uh, and my current uh, hideaway here in Mexico and some of what I've observed here. So I had a blast doing that. I also just did an episode with our good friend, Remzo Martinez on his new program on the run, which airs on the, we are libertarians network. So check that out as well. Talked about a lot of uh, similar topics there and always, 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 always a good time with Remzo. And uh I also want to remind you guys, if you want to support this show, well, you can do so in many ways. You can do so just by subscribing, by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, wherever it is you listen, by sharing the show. These are all free ways to join. If you want something more than a free way, don't forget you can, of course, subscribe and become a member of the Lions of Liberty pride on Patreon over at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, where you will get all sorts of bonus content for as little as $2 a month. You can access our secret Facebook group and a lot of the live streams that we do in there. Uh, five bucks and up, you get access to all of our exclusive audio content and it just gets better and better the higher you go. You get free merchandise. At 25 a month, you get to join our week, our monthly uh, Mufasa calls. Monthly Mufasa calls that is. Uh, at 50 a month, you get to be a Nittany-level supporter and produce one of our shows like Tyler Colford did on last week's Felony Friday where John interviewed uh, Lynn Ulbrich for the second time. A heck of an interview. Gotta go back and listen to that one. But there are so many ways to support, so many ways to join the Pride. You can also donate over at lionsofliberty.com slash donate. Uh, we have a ton of links there to uh, donate via cryptocurrencies as well as uh, you can also donate on PayPal at paypal.me slash lionsliberty. So there's no shortage of ways to send us money if you're the kind of person that would like to do that and help us grow the show and help us expand what we're doing. I'm doing a lot more content than usual now that I'm uh, on furlough from my regular person job and down here in Mexico just podcasting away. So um, if you'd like to support us in this effort, in this mission, again please do check on the Patreon, patreon.com slash lionsliberty, especially on the Patreon, uh, we are giving 10% of our earnings over to our friends at DonorSea, where they are helping people affected around the world by coronavirus, uh, by the lockdowns. They're calling for an end to lockdowns across the world, specifically in third world and poor countries where lockdowns are literally starving people to death. So I'm sure that's a message we can all get behind here. Uh, You can find out more about the projects they're working on over at DonorSea.com slash coronavirus. But 10% of all of our Patreon earnings every month right now is going to Donor C to help them with that fight. So I encourage you to, if not support us, at least go check out the causes they're supporting, uh, especially over at DonorSea.com slash coronavirus. Pick a cause you like, send a couple bucks yourself, because a couple bucks, a couple U.S. dollars literally do go a long way uh, to helping people in a lot of these countries. That's all I've got this week, my friends. Well, that's not really all I've got this week because you're probably going to be getting some extra content here this week. I have a couple interviews lined up this week. Uh, I'm bringing back Michael Chaney to talk about all his research into coronavirus. Uh, I've got an interview scheduled with Vin Armani. I'm also supposed to be speaking with Dr. Joe Jorgensen this week. So I have a lot on my agenda. I will not necessarily be holding everything to the normal Monday schedule. I'll be trying to get a little more content out to you guys now that I am settled here south of the border for a while. Uh, So... With that being said, I don't want you to forget there are other shows here on Lines of Liberty. It's not just me. You got Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday smacking you upside the head with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land. While John Odie Odermatt wraps things up with his amazingly inspiring, hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system every single Friday on Felony Friday. Until next time, my friends. Live long. And live free.